Hello and uh, welcome to What Divines Us. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I'm Rabbi Abram Goodstein. And I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. Uh, this is our 13th episode. Oh. Yeah, isn't 13 like a bad number? I've noticed that buildings, yeah. they often, when you're in elevators, you can you can hit like, you can hit 12, right. you can hit 14, but the 13 is not there. Which is so funny to me because someone might believe that the number 13 has so much supernatural power that it can kill you in an elevator, but it can't recognize that you just switch the numbers up. I mean, it's still the 13th floor. Oh, wait. there. Oh, I'm just realizing something right now, Matt. What? I thought they just avoid, like they made the 13th floor and they chose like not to use it what you're telling me they just numbered it one they just skipped the 13 on the elevator well what else would there be that in like there's like a blank space and the building <laughs> just hovers above yeah nothing? that's weird you're yeah. right that's totally weird so, so whatever they're numbering 14 <laughs> is just the 13th floor they just numbered it differently because apparently ghosts can't you know count from the ground up but it's, it's <laughs> ghost <laughs> ghost haunting elevators aren't I don't, or spirits or bad mojo, whatever we, it is. We like ex- I have never done an exorcism. Now, Jews aren't really famous for that. Neither are Protestants. <laughs> so that's a Catholic thing. But speaking of the Catholic <laughs> Church. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we want to spend a moment talking about the Catholic Church. There's an article that caught my eye that I sent over to Matt, and, and Matt was like, was like on it. Uh, and essentially, I guess this Catholic priest invalidated years worth of ceremonies? Well, we're already getting into semantics, because oh, yeah, when you go. say the yeah. priest invalidated them, oh boy, did he. Okay. Or did the church invalidate them? Oh boy, do they even have the power to do so? Okay, Matt, we're going to head over. There's a whole big thing. Let's, let's tell the story. <laughs> so apparently, over the course of, I don't know, let's say 20 years, I don't know what the real, I don't follow numbers that well, but over the course of this individual priest's career, he was baptizing probably babies, being in the Catholic church, that is largely the tradition, but probably some adults as well. And as he baptized them, he would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the tradition, as it is supposed to be said, is not we baptize you, but I baptize you. The priest says, the I baptize The priest says, I baptize you. Now, this gets into a real wedge moment in the liturgy and in the, the understanding of what it means to be a clergy person. So officially speaking, I am not even clergy because in my religious tradition, I am not ordained to a status of a clergy person. I am ordained simply to a function of providing the sacraments and having a certain level of religious education with which to teach. I'm not, I'm not sure I follow like that distinction. Clergy would be a status, meaning you are a holy person, a holy man, so to speak, in, in the older terms. And in the Catholic Church, that priest serves a function within the community, not only of administering the sacraments, but also sort of being the the um, the, the go-through for religious things. If you want to commune with God, of course you can pray individually, but you go through your holy person for a more holy experience, so to speak. So, like, so, so, so the priest is like a megaphone, a mediator of sorts. Okay. Yeah, and okay. and and it's not quite that like clear cut. Like you don't only always have to go through the priest, but it is certainly an ordained to status as opposed to, like in my tradition, simply to function. And so for him to say, we baptize you, would imply that it is the entirety of the community engaging in this act of administering this sacramental oh, moment. Oh, I see. But they don't have the... Right. Now, when I baptize, it would be... I do say I baptize you. I don't I don't look at it that carefully because it is both me and we. I am the one actually placing the water on the baby's forehead, right? Or the adult's forehead. But it is, in truth, a community activity in which we all recognize 
and celebrate the presence of the Holy Spirit in that moment and in the life of this person uh, thereafter. In the Catholic tradition, it is much more this individual has been set apart as holy to do this act on behalf of everybody else, but it is him doing it. So I can see why it's a bugaboo, and I can definitely see why within their own theology and ecclesiology and practice, they would, they would, as the Catholic Church say, hey, buddy, from now on, say the right word. I'm, I'm still, I'm still like flummoxed over how, how important this is. Because it seems like it's really important. Yeah. This, this guy for 20 years or something was saying we right. instead of I. Uh-huh. And that made all those baptisms that he did. That's that's the turning point for me, too. I, I agree that being a nitpicker about words can be really fun and annoying to your spouse, right? I love doing it. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understand why the words matter and why you should say the right thing of what you actually mean and what your community actually believes and what your tradition actually holds, right? You should get the words right. If I said, you baptize yourself, well, that would be wrong. It's not something that one does to oneself. Um, And so I understand why the words matter. However, I I do think that it's, it's a form of hubris for any institution to say, your baptisms are now invalidated because of one pronoun problem that was probably accidental. And even if it was on purpose, that does not invalidate the spiritual experience of the one who received it. But isn't that what the Catholic Church is saying? I think so. And again, I don't want to speak for the Catholic Church, but it does seem like they're saying, yeah, they didn't count. And that strikes me as uh, being too big for one's papal britches. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't because it's the Holy Spirit that's that's doing the quote unquote work here, um, and we're just you know we're bit players in that drama. I mean, but couldn't they couldn't say like the Catholic spokesperson, whoever said whoever that person mm-hmm. is, say you know I'm sorry that we delivered a less than stellar performance yeah. on these twenty plus years of baptisms that occur. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, oops, we uh, you know we said we. Said, <laughs> we I, this this priest said uh, we instead of I, and if that if that offends you anyway, we, you, you, baptism on us. You get, you get a freebie <laughs> you get, on us. You get a refund. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And like, and why couldn't they say like you know like here's a coupon to you know your, whatever your closest your closest church enjoy. You know like why yeah. like yeah. like I feel like they are putting themselves sort of in this ridiculous situation. And it's really funky because one of the one of the themes of Jesus's ministry on Earth was. Um, to not get caught up in that kind of legalism, right? He was really opposed to the legalism that the Pharisees at the times were exhibiting and that they were putting forth as the way to do religion properly was a very legalistic rules-based approach. Um, You know, for instance, with the Sabbath, they were saying you can't do this on the Sabbath, can't do that on the Sabbath, you can't work, you can't, you know, uh, do all these various things. And the phrase that always comes back to me that Jesus said was Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. We don't serve the rules. The rules are here to serve us so that we have a bit of a handhold and a foothold to, to get our way into these moments of, of holy experience. And I, I feel like in focusing on this I or we baptism word and invalidating things as a response, they're missing that entire point of Jesus's ministry, which is it's it's, it's not about the words. It's about the presence of God in our hearts and in our lives. But they're also missing out on, on, on like the law that you see in Exodus and Leviticus where you there's, a, there's literally a kind of sacrifice you make for when you sin without realizing it. 
Yeah, right. right. And then, yeah. then you're good, right? Yeah. So you, you, you inadvertently sin on something that's not, that, that, as long as it's not a big deal, you know, you broke one of those Sabbath laws, if you will. Yeah, yeah. You didn't realize it until the week, a week later. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a pathway to be good again without having to say everything's invalidated because of this right. sin. Right, and not only, uh, that's a, yeah, I'm all excited talking <laughs> about it. Not only is that a really like merciful way of the law being implemented within within both the the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures but also it's a way to celebrate the mistakes to say here's someone that has come forward and said I made a mistake and then it's an opportunity to grow from it right yeah, they're seeking yeah. they're seeking forgiveness the, I guarantee you this same priest ain't going to do that again <laughs> you know if he did that 20 years by mistake and now it's all being brought to light he probably feels really badly about it and so move forward and learn and grow from it yeah it's very frustrating it calls to mind when the church also refused to allow gluten-free bread for the communion meal. Right. And, um, you know, my wife is gluten-free. She has a, um, an so allergy. So is my and, wife. Isn't it oh, awesome? Yeah, man. you go out for donuts and you're like, well, you can have one made out of cardboard. <laughs> 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 you can have slimy pasta. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I feel very badly I for think the people. pasta game is actually pretty, it's gotten good. It's we gotten found better. some good ones. Lentil pasta, that's what we use, and I, yeah. I find it fine. <laughs> Today's podcast brought to you by Udi. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, actually, we uh, there's a brand called Mary's Gone Crackers, and it's gluten-free crackers, and I just think it's a hilarious name That's for hilarious. a product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and with Elizabeth, it's not to the extent that she will experience great pain or die from it, but there are people... For whom that is the case, yeah, right. If they yeah. if they were to if eat a mouthful, right, they yeah. could have real serious consequences. And so, why the heck not? Just in, in our particular congregation, the communion is all a hundred percent gluten free. Always, because at yeah. first you start with the regular bread, and then you have a small dish of gluten free on the side, and then those people start to feel kind of. It's like, well, it makes them seem like they're, they're, oh, now we got to accommodate you. And it can make them feel like, oh, I don't want you to go through the trouble. So now we just made it all gluten-free, allergen-free as best we can. And uh, that way everyone deals with it. It's not like we're there, like, spreading peanut butter on it and enjoying a lovely lunch. It's just a teeny little bit of bread. You know, us Jews have a similar problem with matzah, right, during this okay. during the, the Passover. There's actually uh-huh. there's a moment during the Seder where uh, you're commanded to eat to eat matzah. Mm-hmm. Matzah traditionally is a, you know, a glutinous thing. For anyone who doesn't know what matzah is, it's like a really big cracker uh, that can yeah. be either, mostly you see it in squares. But I've seen round matzahs before. Okay. There's rules about how long it is to, to make it, but it, it, it can't rise. There's no there's no leavening in any huh. kind of... Because in Passover, you're, you avoid anything with leavening in it. Okay. But anyway, so gluten-free matzah was, you know, what is is now currently a thing. Okay. Uh, but oh, same problem, right? Like there's a moment in our tradition where you're supposed to have something that's glutinous, you know. Yeah. And, and what do you do? Now we're not passing. We're not unlike. We're not, I'm not like passing out, um, you know, matzah to people's mouths and say like, may the power of Moses compel you or something like that. You know, that's not <laughs> a thing that we do. Um, but certainly, like you know, there's a moment here where a similar idea. Yeah. Uh, and you don't want, but because it's a shared meal the, and and. There are roots to it that it comes from this, so it should follow those things. But the weird thing is, I actually kind of like gluten-free matzo like better than I like regular yeah. matzo because it uses potato starch as oh, like okay. a thing. It's so taste much tastier than like a dry big cracker. But I'm famously, yeah. I'm famously uh, don't like matzo that much. Um, well, yeah, okay, I, and I think that that comes down to the same thing, which is the rules are good. The rules and the traditions are are nice ways to understand 
the, the issue at hand, whatever the spiritual moment is, and they give us a way to understand it and keep us from going hog wild into nonsense. But also, we got to hold them loosely because, you know, 2,000 years have passed since Jesus was here. Uh, what, another another 3,000 since Moses was here? And uh, things change around us, and we need to acknowledge those and switch it up and uh, to, to stay living in the real world also. Yeah. Um, and so for to get so hung up on these things really, really drives me batty. <laughs> I just don't understand what to me is such common sense um, for others is really hard to, to get away from. But I wonder, like, I mean, like, I mean, this has to be, I mean, it, this has to feel really important to the Catholic Church to make such a big deal about it. Yeah. And there has to be enough people in the Catholic Church that feel maybe hurt or upset by the situation to make it even a big deal in the I don't first know. place. I don't know if that's true or if it's a structure. I mean, uh, an institution, any institution, can take on a momentum of its own. And it's just, you know, the cogs of the machine keep on turning and they do what they're going to do. And oftentimes it's not till after a lot of press gets, you know, gets around it or a lot of attention or a lot of people notice it that we realize, oh, wait, we don't have to do that. We could all just decide, no, it's good. You know, and so it might just be one of those things where it's where it's um, the just the habits get so built into people that they don't realize that they, you know, that that the institution could just turn a corner and not enforce this. I, I feel like the Catholic Church is like famous for taking it being really hard to change the rules, right? You yeah, know, I'm thrilled about Vatican II, for example, mm-hmm. where Jews got a little bit less blame blame for killing Jesus. You know, that was great for us. A little bit less is that how they yeah, phrase it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did they send you a rebate also? Like, <laughs> I know a coupon. Sorry <laughs> about the two thousand years of persecution. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. um, but it took a while to get But here's there. some free gluten free bread. We ain't using it, so you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if the Catholic Church would give me gluten free mozzarella for the rest of my life, I was like, worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know I, I was raised Catholic, and I remember uh, kind of joking around about if you show up late to church, how late can you show up and it still counts as attendance? Uh-huh. And we always laughed about, well, who counts to who? God's not up there with an attendance sheet, probably. And so is it I the priest that you're talking about? And and almost every Catholic family with whom we were friends would say, like, oh, yes, we're Catholic, but we don't really believe the Pope is infallible. And we're mm. Catholic, but we don't really believe you have to only have fish on Fridays and not other meats. And, and all these other Catholic traditions— Today being Shrove Tuesday, for example, Lent is, you know, uh, starts tomorrow. And almost everyone I know in the Catholic Church is like, yeah, I'm Catholic. But, you know, during Lent, I don't really give anything up. And so so even though there are the rules in the institution, that doesn't necessarily imply that the daily person on the street who is Catholic agrees with what's going on. Oh, sure. I mean, geez, I I mean, being a a rabbi in the reform movement, I I say one thing and— Three other Jews disagree with me, by the way. Right, right. So, like, the difference being, though, the Catholic Church is decidedly hierarchical. It is right, a top-down right. organization, and so the congregants in the pews might not actually believe it, but that's sort of whispered amongst them, and they're not going to go to the uh, priest and say, "Hey, I'm totally against what you're doing," as 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 uh, freely and as often. So that's a that's a funky little thing. Actually, can we talk about Lent for a few minutes, seeing how? No. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, I I don't really understand it. Yeah. But I'm sure we could, I'm sure we could have comparisons to it in Judaism once I understand it better. Sure. So the, the idea of, of Lent is is that you you give up something important to you. Well, no, that is the that's the front facing pop culture aspect of Lent. That's, but that's it's not the I heart know. of it. Uh, yeah, but it's uh, not uh, the heart. Uh, the heart of Lent would be a liturgical uh, period within the liturgical calendar, a forty day. Uh, period so the more or less the four weeks before um, Easter. So it leads up to Easter. Yeah, okay. it is a, a okay. season. We I think we spoke on the podcast about Advent. How is it a leading yes, up period before yes. Christmas? This is has some reflections of that. That it's a leading up period before Easter. And in the time of Lent, we focus on, for example, our own mortality and ways Oof. to yeah, yeah it's existential. A, well, Ash Wednesday being tomorrow, we put the mark of the cross in ashes on someone's forehead. And the traditional thing I would say. As I do that, I'm not doing it during COVID. I might put like a glove on a long pole and like put oh, ashes on that way from a distance. Miss and poke <laughs> someone's eye by accident. No, I, I won't. I probably <laughs> will. Uh, I'll do a different thing. But anyway, as we do the imposition of the ashes, it's called. I would say, from dust you came, to dust you shall return. I see. Uh, memento mori. Remember, you are mortal. You, you will die. It. Now, this last couple of years, I don't really feel people need the reminder. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of where, right up there. Where does the ash come from? Where uh, the ash? Are you familiar with the tradition of Palm Sunday? No. Oh, there you go. The Sunday before Easter, Jesus made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and his uh, followers shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, hooray, hooray, and they threw palm leaves on the ground in front of him to sort of make a, kind of like rolling out the red carpet, they rolled out the palm frond carpet. Hey, have you ever tried to step in a palm frond before? He was riding on a donkey, so he didn't care. Oh, good. I was yeah. like, those things are ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but it was just a way, uh, kind of a showing of, of respect and honor and lauding these things upon him. Um, so in churches nowadays, the tradition is uh, we give each congregant, as they walk in one one frond of a, of a big palm leaf thing. We kind of wave them in the air as part of big celebratory music. It's uh-huh. a big fun festive day, particularly the kids wave them around and we'll have the kids sometimes lead the parade in waving them. Those things are kind of pokey. They are. Yep. Uh-huh. And they, and of course they immediately become lightsabers when you give them to the kids, but it's great. We're fine with that. Uh, many people. <laughs> Some of think we'll allow to be fine with that. Maybe at first you all weren't yeah, so true. fine. In my <laughs> congregation, we're happy with it. There are, there are more stuffy places. Uh, a lot of people have learned how to weave them into shape of like crosses or fish or various things. I've never learned that because, I don't know, just not good at it. It feels feels specific. So at the end of that day, of course, there's something of a mess of palms in the church. We gather them up and I hang on to them in my office. They're under my desk right now. The following year, we burn them, save those ashes, and um, you mix them with a little bit of like vegetable oil. And then that's what you make the sign of the cross with. Really? A couple of things, a couple of warnings, you youngins who are just starting as pastors. Number one, if you burn them in the building, like in the church fireplace, it smells a lot like marijuana. So be prepared to explain to people <laughs> what's going on in the church. <laughs> what? Yeah, it does. It's similar. Um, and uh, thing number two is don't ever mix those ashes with water in order to make the sign of the cross because that creates a caustic acid of some sort. And when you put the sign of the cross on people, they can really get irritated skin. Will it be like when they rub it off, will the, will the sign, will the, it'll be red there? <laughs> it'll still it'll be, be there. Like yeah. And we're like, you are the Satan's mom. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of starter offer pastors have done that and made that mistake. So, uh, you know, 
Google it first, everybody. <laughs> that's where we get the ashes from. Do you have from. like a the church fireplace where you burn it? Uh, we do have a church fireplace, yeah. And that's where I do it just because it's it's more convenient than going outside. But they're last year's palms, so that's the pretty. So they're, they're nice and dry. Yeah. And, and yeah. we didn't do it last year, so at this point, they're two years ago. Um, uh, but yeah, it's 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 a nice tradition. I enjoy it. Um, nice meaning Palm Sunday. Ash Wednesday is a meaningful tradition. Sure. I don't say you know if I'd say nice because it really is focusing on a death aspect. Um, and then Lent is um, is uh, reflecting the forty days of Jesus in the wilderness where he kind of denied himself certain earthly Wait a pleasures. The Israelites were there in the for forty years. I'm so proud of you for picking up oh on the goodness. symbolic reflections. Oh my yeah. goodness! It very much is, and frequently throughout Jesus's ministry, there would be things intentionally set up to show reflections to Moses's ministry or Elijah as well um, to to kind of claim this spot in the ancient traditions. Mm-hmm. You might call it cultural appropriation, but Jesus was Jewish. He was allowed to do that, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So Lent, Lent think, is a time yeah. to kind of reflect on those things. It's a good tradition to give something up. I'm not opposed to it, but it's by far and away not required. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus say, make sure you give up chocolate right before Easter, everybody. Um, oh, there's so much chocolate during Easter. That's oh, crazy. Is that why? People are giving it up before I don't know if that's why, but largely a lot of those feast days you would give up certain things like fatty things and sugary things um, because Easter was a big a big feast day. So then on that day we were like, yeah, hooray. And of course, bear in mind, as these traditions were developing, a lot of that was during the Middle Ages and it's not like you could pop out and grab a candy bar, right? These were things that took a lot of time, a lot of work. They were very expensive for these luxuries. And so you would kind of put them off and then really enjoy them on that one day. Um so that's why um, tomorrow is Ash Wednesday when Lent begins. So you would have a several weeks, six-week period or so before Easter happens. So that would be a time of sort of self-denial. What that means is that today is called Shrove Tuesday, but it's also called— Hold on, Shrove? Uh, I forget why it's called that. <laughs> okay. Darn it. I shouldn't have Ooh, brought up something. I don't know. Pastor uh, fail. Uh, yep. Happens yep. to me all the time. All right. one, that's one strike against yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But do you know what else today is called? The Tuesday before Ash Wednesday? No. Mardi Gras! Oh, whoa. That's why. Mardi Gras is based off of Ash. It's a French phrase. It means Fat Tuesday, and it's because they know that starting tomorrow, we got a long period where we're denying ourselves certain earthly pleasures, so let's really hit it so big let's, tonight. Let's throw beads at people. That's <laughs> Exactly. So, so of course, then the day before, it became this, you know, over time, it evolved into this horrible parade of debauchery, and uh, not at all. It kind of backfired yeah. a little bit, I, I wonder. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Especially then eventually, People just did away with the Lent part, but they kept the Mardi Gras part. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's that's problematic. Um, but then, yeah, and then that ends on Easter, so you have all the the big celebrations with candy and feasts and and hoorays. I got a funny Easter story for right. you. So we live near a park, and we walk at that park like all the time with, uh-huh. my, with my with my son. And I think he's four at the time. We're wandering around, and he finds his little sphere like on the ground, uh-huh. and he opens it up, and he's like really cool little toys, and he's like. What is happening? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure either. I really, I, honestly, at the moment, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And then we keep walking. Is this a trap? We find, we find like another one, and like he, he like it's like it's really it's like obviously placed like on a tree, mm-hmm. and he grabs it, opens it up, more awesome toys. Yeah. And, and we're both like, what is going on? <laughs> and we, we finally, it finally occurs to us, it's some kind of Easter route. Yeah. And we had gotten there before they let the kids go. Oh, that's so, so funny. We were like, we were like cherry picking <laughs> these Easter eggs. So when that group showed up and. 
they're like, go find the Easter eggs, kids. They're like, they're all gone. I know. The I, Jews I, took them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that would have gotten too real, too. Yeah, that's right. But I felt like I slowed them down. I, I got a feeling that maybe not all these are for us, right. but I let them keep the first two that you found. Of course. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there you go. I that's, guess that's uh, Lent in a nutshell, or in an eggshell. In a nutshell, well played. Uh, we'll have to get into why eggs and Easter, but we'll get that. Maybe we'll get into that later. Yeah, it's all fertility rights. Is that what it is? Probably. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Symbol, symbols about, of life and renewed about life. Rabbits laying eggs seems to be a theme of notice. And, and a lot of it either overlaps with or comes from the same things that lead us to our typical uh, symbols of springtime and verdance and rebirth and yeah. So here's a crazy thing. Easter is usually near Passover, right? Isn't that like the whole thing? Yeah, that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover uh, festivals and, and things, and so that's why they were there. So Passover would have been on a uh, Friday or a Saturday? Uh, or is it different from It's different. Year? Okay. Um, it, it may be that being attached to the, the Sabbath— was was a Christian influence and not from from the Passover timeline. Then. But yes, he was there for Passover, so it is very much based on the on the Jewish calendar, and that's why Easter is a different date each year. So we have it on the first Sunday after. Uh, it's something weird, like based, the first Sunday after okay. the first full moon after Passover, something like there that. There you go. You got to yeah. base off the full moon. Yeah. But this is a weird year in the Jewish calendar because we, we have a leap month this year. Oh. We have a whole extra month called Adar too. What? Yeah. The first one's called Adar 1. Obviously. Oh, you mentioned this before. You yeah, 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 yeah. Adar 2, Electric Boogaloo. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. So essentially, uh, uh, seven seven times in a 19-year cycle, okay. they added an extra, a whole extra month. Mm-hmm. I say they, and you know, ancient rabbis figured this all out. Right. Because Judaism is a, lunar, is a lunar calendar. Which is pretty amazing that people way back then figured out all these astronomical yeah, really cycles. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can't be a lunar calendar and also celebrate seasonal holidays, right? Yeah, if you're yeah. lunar, then you're going to lose. You keep on skipping. You lose. You lose sort of the seasonal. Yeah. So you, we add. They added an extra month, mm-hmm. uh, seven times in a 19 year cycle to kind of keep things within the right season. Right. Right. Uh, so it must. It's going to also. It must weird out. It probably does. Uh, and Easter too. Because my of these things. I use the ancient tradition of roundabout January. I Google. When's Easter this year? Yeah, and Google tells me, and I'm like, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Oracle. <laughs> well, there yeah. used to be one called yeah, Oracle, I use, right? Yeah. I use Hebcal. That's my that's my go-to. Is that really what it's called? Yeah, yeah, H E B C A L. Yeah, yeah. Hebcal.com. And there are other right. similar things I could use of the liturgical calendar, but Google's faster. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It's an important yeah. tool for clergy, huh? Uh huh. Yeah, it, it does work. I'll be I'll be going home later to Google the other thing you asked me that I I already forgot what I didn't know. Well, Shrove. I'll, I'll be Googling Shrove Tuesday. Great, right great, yeah. It's, it has to do with pancakes, I'm sure. It's, <laughs> a lot of people eat pancakes today. That's, uh, people nowadays call it Pancake Tuesday also. Pancakes? Yeah. That's Did not, Jesus eat pancakes? No, nah, not as far as I know. Okay. They were Flap Jesus instead of Flapjacks. So <laughs> oh, my God. Flip, but they, whoa. Um, uh, he, the, just like Mardi Gras, you eat a lot of and drink lots of good stuff, right? So a lot of people express that by having pancakes because they're fatty and sugary and yummy and good, so... Cool. It makes total sense to me. I tell you, man, I don't make these things up. People (laughs) just do them, and and we're and my daughter's good at making pancakes, so she volunteered to make dinner tonight, and we're all happy about it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. All right. All right. Well, there's there's that. (laughs) (laughs) We started off on. Well, actually, start with thirteen because it's a thirteen. That's right. Which, but actually, back to thirteen one more time. Okay. Is it a religious thing? Is that why we don't like thirteen? 
That's a good question. I don't know, man. Is it that to do with like because because twelve is a holy number in our scriptures, and maybe there, thirteen is like one off of that. Like it's a problem. Wasn't there like a thirtieth apostle? In the movie, uh, there's a movie by what's his name, where Chris Rock plays Rufus, the thirteenth apostle. Um, oh. <laughs> But that's not... That's not a thing. It's 12 apostles, right? All right. Yeah, because so 12, 12 is drawn on the 12 tribes of Israel right, and 12 12 12s, Israel, 12s and 7s yeah. and 3s everywhere, but right? I, I, I but imagine, I don't know... I imagine unlucky numbers come from religion, right? Because we, we... Maybe. Us, us yeah. religious folk love that stuff. Well, we'll have to... All right, I'm going to make a note here. So tonight I will Google <laughs> Shrove and 13. All right, that's on my list. Okay. I will report back all right. to all on our next podcast. Okay, well, next, uh, uh, Matt and I want to chat a little bit about um, sort of like... How a person, well, I want to say, like recovers or deals, yeah, yeah, with their with their environment, just just with life, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, because you and I, I mean, we, you know, we do a lot of pastoral care, um, yeah. and, and we see like a lot of people struggling mm-hmm. with the COVID, um, and, and like one thing that I like to sort of understand about a person is that are they an introvert or an extrovert? Yeah. for me, it's it's helpful to know that information. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think anyone, not everyone that I talk to, understands what I mean. Even when, like when I when I ask that question, yeah, and I thought it'd be valuable for us to sort of discuss what that means a little bit. I'm happy to jump in on that with you, but I should, you know, disclose right off the bat that I'm not super educated on it. I have a very surface level understanding mm-hmm. of it, but I think a bit more understanding of how it impacts me as a pastor and yeah, a lot of other yeah. pastors I've spoken to. I, I would say there, there's two different definitions of it. Uh-huh. It's inter- it's how you uh, recharge yeah. and how you process. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll give yeah. you some examples. Okay. Um, for how you recharge, you know, when you feel like you're kind of down, yeah. um, some people, they need to go to sort of like their own little space, mm-hmm. maybe like binge Netflix for a while. For me, I'm a big video game guy. I play a lot of video games. Mm-hmm. But like that, th- this idea of like me being able to sort of like focus on this one thing, kind of forget about my problems and being able to sort of like, I guess, flow with yeah. it yeah. Uh, helps me recharge, makes me able to, to, to be like a happier, better mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. For other people, though, being with, being with other people is how they recharge, right? Hanging yeah. out with, yeah. with other folks, just having a good time. That's how they recharge. That, that drains me. Right. But it recharges them. Mm-hmm. And you can understand why COVID is extra devastating for individuals that recharge by being with, with other people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's where they kind of find their life uh, source is to be with others and yeah. sometimes in crowds or at least, you know, being chatty with one or two or a few friends. Right. And this yeah. is why I ask this question often when I'm, you know, when someone needs a little mm-hmm. help or they're struggling off and ask them, like, how do you recharge? And sometimes they don't even know what I'm talking about, which I find very right. sad. Yeah. Right. You know, I think people should understand that they need to recharge. That's something mm-hmm. they need to be able to do. And, you, and they need to be able to do it whenever they can. Yeah. Um, but the other version of introvert, extrovert is like how you process like so things. So like, for example, like often I will think before I say something. That's, really? That's I've never done that. I know. I will worry about that. That's very introverted, right? I'm like, mm. okay, now I don't say that thing I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, other people who are more extroverted, they just talk out loud what they're thinking. Like they just, they're just constantly talking and thinking. Okay. They're, you know, they might even like contradict themselves because they're just thinking out loud. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll say one thing and they're like, ah, and they'll say the opposite thing. And some people are like you're, some people are like you're not being, you know, some people will like, will, will like call them out. Like you're not being consistent. You just said the exact opposite things. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, I was just thinking it out loud. That's all I was doing, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. that's sort of introvert extrovert when it comes to processing things. So okay. so you have two different kinds, right? Yeah. Processing and recharging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like I like to ask people about both. <laughs> Makes sense. How do you process? Okay. How do you recharge? Yeah. Um, and I think these are really valuable tools to understand. And so how do, you, how do you do both of those I'm like things? introvert like all the way. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't process out, out loud too much, which is weird that we're in a podcast where we're constantly yeah, processing. Really. I know, right? Um, I know. We, should, we should make the introvert's podcast where we're both just thinking quietly to ourselves. This <laughs> <laughs> is quiet sound. <laughs> know that we're here. Yeah. Just we're, still, we're still with it. We just need a couple more minutes. Yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then... Um, uh, but yeah, but also I recharge by myself. I recharge yeah. uh, taking time for just for just me. So I'm okay. I'm like introvert introvert on both how I process and uh, how I recharge. Okay, interesting. What about you? What do you think? Definitely recharge introvert a hundred percent. And I think also, uh, despite my line of work and my proclivity to be chatty, I think I I am. Uh, introvert the other way too. I, I much prefer to think and process things through on my own quietly. I, I do remember very distinctly making a choice around about the end of ninth grade, beginning of 10th grade, where I was just like, all right, I'm done being alone all the time. And I feel like having a social life. And so I was just like, all right, I'm just going to acquire these skills of extroversion. I'm going to ex- acquire these skills of talking, speaking in public and getting up on stage. Ooh, and scary. Yeah, all these things that I had been kind of in my turtle shell and relatively happy in there. You know, it's, I, I had a nice childhood, great life. But um, but I was just like, it. you know, I, I need to reach out a little. So it was simply a matter of acquiring skills of being a person in public. And so I did that. But my comfort level my comfort place my my true soul's home is solitude and mm-hmm. quiet and uh, I'm fortunate to have a job where I can cause that to happen frequently you know I can you know church during the week is a relatively quiet place and so I get a lot of time alone in my office or the sanctuary I can also work from home once in a while and that's nice um, to, to have some quiet time that way um, but it's ironic because it's the last I read the last uh Survey I saw was something like seventy-five to eighty percent of pastors are introverts. Yeah, I'm not, actually, I'm yeah. not very surprised. And it's yeah. got a, and it's also a career that has a high rate of burnout. And I think that's why, because it's taking introverts, because we are, we as clergy are very thoughtful people that need to consider these heavy things. And like you mentioned, uh, a lot of. A lot of people's heavy life issues come to rest on our hearts as well. And so we need time to recharge and to process and to, to, to restore ourselves and to heal, but are sometimes not given that. I'm, I'm fortunate to serve in a church that has healthy systems and healthy boundaries, but not every church does. And so a lot of the pastors will say, I need to have some quiet time in my work and work from home once a week or something. And the churches are like, no, sir, you need to be in the office nine to five. Um, yeah. And so it can it can really break a person. And I've sadly I've got friends to whom that's happened. Yeah, I actually have, I have a story about some, some something about that where I was a I was an assistant chaplain at a hospital for a little while, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're a chaplain at a hospital, you see a lot of Yeah, them. yeah, for sure. Uh, and so I, I just, every morning I feel very guilty by the fact that I would just read a fun book for like a whole hour yeah. in the morning uh-huh. uh, during, at, at the hospital. Just I would find a oh, seat yeah. somewhere and mm-hmm. just read. Yeah. And I finally admitted this to, to my boss, who's like the, you know, the mm-hmm. chaplain there. And she's like, does reading an hour every morning make you a better chaplain? Oh, nice. And I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah. then one an hour and a half. You know, like, wow, like, what a good supervisor that is. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like that, that, uh, that was an amazing, uh, like she gave me permission, mm-hmm. first of all, something that we clergy often do as well. We offer permission. Yeah. She, gave, she gave me permission to do something uh, that allowed me to sort of become a better, a better, you know, clergy, a better yeah. chaplain, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. It was great. And yeah. to realize that I needed that time to sort of like kind of arm myself, yeah. if you will. And then I was, I was good for the rest of the day. But I took a, but nice. you know, at the same time, I was spending resources, right? I was, you know, the place right. I was working, I wasn't actually mm-hmm. working. But she's like, I don't care. I, I, for you, you working means you being the best chaplain you can be. That's what I right. care about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, I don't want a moment where you're a bad chaplain because yeah. you didn't take the time you needed for yourself. There is a book called The Contemplative Pastor, and the author's name eludes me at the moment. But, uh, oh gosh, my wife is going to be so mad because it's that guy who did that book. <laughs> The, the the translation called the message and his name Eugene Peterson is it? anyway um, he uses the analogy of the pastor is expected to be someone whose soul is prepared for the funeral that comes around or prepared to speak words of holiness at the wedding service or prepared to lead us in the liturgy each and every day that we have the you know the church service or the or the synagogue service we're supposed to be ready for that moment yeah. But how can we be that if we're also running just as ragged from nine to five as everyone else is? And then they come to us and they say, I am spent from all that. And we're like, yeah, me too. I'm spent too. And so he used the analogy of a a whaling ship. I think he had been reading Moby Dick or something. (laughs) And like like they're out there on the ocean and everyone's working hard to keep things ship shape. And they're like whale off in the distance and everything explodes (laughs) into this fury of activity. They're getting all the harpoons ready and hoisting the mainsail and all the stuff they do, except for one guy who's standing calmly. Leaning up against the mast, just chilling, not doing anything. And you might look at him and say, why is he not working like mad? And the answer is? He got heels the spear, right? He's got the harpoon. Yeah, and yeah. so when they actually reach the whale, if he had been hoisting that mainsail, his arms would be dead weight. He'd try to throw it. It wouldn't even reach the whale, let alone yeah. pierce the skin. And so he had to be preparing himself and having his energy ready for the proper moment. And I thought that was a good way to look at being a clergy person, too. So after church on a Sunday morning, most pastors I know have the uh, the post-church Sunday afternoon pastor nap. Oh, yeah. We go home, and we are just wiped out. Because from the minute I get to church to the minute I go home, it's it's nonstop social interaction. Yeah. And it's great, because I love all those people I'm talking to. But it's literally, at a minimum, literally 100 conversations with different people yeah, but, and they all matter. It's not like I can be like, Hey, whatever, dude, like each and every one of them is talking about something that truly matters to both of them and to me. And we have to be fully focused the whole time. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the end of it, it's like, okay, nap time. <laughs> but, but that's the other thing too, is that, that you don't, you don't control whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Right. It's just the way that you are. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh-huh. so if you find a hundred conversations to be draining, 
Uh-huh. You know, that's that you have to, of course, you have to work with that. You have to make sure that you're available for those people. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's, but you also have to respect the fact that you, this is draining for me. Uh huh. And, and that you go home and you, and you have like your, I, I would call it a Shabbat nap. That's what I would call yep. what yep. I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but that's, but that's, but that's part of it. And I, and I, and I hope that, you know, our listeners recognize that for themselves. Right. right? They can't, yeah. yeah. If you're listening to this, you can't help whether you're an extro- extrovert or introvert. Mm-hmm. You should recognize who you are and play plan accordingly. And here's a wrinkle too. I, I Not to disrespect extroverts, but I also think there's a place for solitude and silence and reflection in their lives as well. And I, I don't think they would disagree. I just think it, it might be... Um, it might drain them. It might drain them. It might be. Just but like it's how right. talking to people who are yeah. extroverts drains them. It's, just because it's draining doesn't mean you don't do it. Of uh-huh. course not. Um, but you have to understand you're being drained right. and you have to find time to recharge. Yeah. A little yeah. bit harder during COVID for extroverts... You know, uh-huh. for sure, which, yeah. which is the reason why COVID's been so difficult. One of the reasons it's been so difficult, mm-hmm. among the many other reasons. Yeah. But um, uh, but to recognize that, yeah, silence is important. I find it draining. So after after I have a moment of solitude, I, I go and find someone to hang out with for right. a while. Right. That's that's what that is. It's so not I, avoiding behavior. I just got back from vacation, and I made sure to take time each morning to go off by myself and just sit quietly and listen to the sound of the waves or whatever. And I have an upcoming, theoretically, I have the option to do a sabbatical. Ooh, exciting. Um, we probably, talk about sabbatical yeah, in one of our episodes. That would be great. Not yeah. this year. Maybe in 2023 <laughs> if I'm lucky. No, I mean like the sabbatical maybe oh, in 2023. Oh, 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 we'll talk about it in 2023. Oh, I'd be happy to talk about it next time. <laughs> I don't know when mine will be a, a possible. Maybe 2023. And if not, then probably 2024. My hope is to go somewhere and do intentional solitude for an extended period of time. Like, uh, I was going to suggest we should we should have shared sabbaticals where we do the same thing together. That would Sounds be the like worst. you would hate that idea. Well, see, no, there's, there are pilgrimage <laughs> walks like the 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 Santiago, the the what's that called? The the Way of St. James. Is it Santiago? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking to a rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, my, my wife is also going to be mad at me for getting this one. Oh, no. The Camino, the Camino. Um, and it's like a well-known pilgrimage walk, but it's crowded. Lots of people Wait, do Wait, what is it? It's, you walk on this pilgrimage path, and it's a prayerful experience. Why is it a pilgrimage? Oh, gosh, because it, it travels a long distance to a church, and a lot of people would make that journey uh, as as a means of spiritual practice you know, once or it, twice in their lifetime in, yeah. in Europe. And I think it began perhaps with the crusade walk, but you know that changed over time. It sure did. Quit asking me questions that know the answer to. <laughs> the point is, in modern practice, a lot of people still want these these you know once in a lifetime or once in a career kind of spiritual moments where you have this intentional sabbatical period of spiritual reflection. But they've become popular, and so the Camino, for example, is a well-worn path, and you can be on that and be surrounded by people the whole time. To me, that would be draining, right? So yeah. so why yeah. would I go for a sabbatical rest reflection time and then have to spend the whole time making small talk with fellow travelers? No, that's not going to do the trick. I need to find an isolated spot all by myself. And yeah. So that's why I'll do a like a vow of silence kind of thing for a few weeks. Wow. I don't think I'm as introverted as you are, Matt. I see on TV, like, when the main character on a show gets put in solitary confinement for doing something wrong, and I'm like, oh, that would be great. Really? I would love it. Uh, or, like, the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. My son just watched that where he's stranded on a desert island. Son just, how old is your son? He just watched a Castaway? Well, he's 17. for a while. It's, yeah, but it came out before he was born. Why would he have watched it? Right? <laughs> okay, good So point. he's, good he's watching old movies, like the ones you and I used to watch. Oh, my God. Yeah. So movie. anyway, he so he watched that, and... Um, and, and honestly, when I think about three years on a desert island by myself, I'm like... Ah, Sounds fun for you? I would love it. 
Okay. I would love it. I would miss my wife and kids. And Jewish, other than that, Jewish I could, joke. Jewish joke. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So this Jewish guy stuck on desert island, uh-huh. right, for three years. Okay. okay. Uh, and uh, and he gets rescued. And his rescuers noticed like three buildings that he had built himself uh-huh. on this island. And they're like three seems like seems like too many when one would do. Yeah. And he's like, well, those are my synagogues. And he and they're like, you built three. Synagogues, and he's like, yeah, yeah. So that one, he points to one of them. He goes, uh-huh. that's the one I go, I go to just normally. You know, every day I go to that synagogue. Okay, and, and they're like, okay. And the next one, he goes to the second one. He goes, and that one I go on special occasions. You know, when I feel like it, or uh-huh. you know, it's, it's a little different. Yeah. And, they're, and they're like, okay. And then he points to the third one, but that one I never go to at all. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very good. Sorry, your your island metaphor reminded me of that joke. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think that's where we end the extrovert introvert conversation. Okay, yeah. okay, the great great place to end it. Uh, and then we had one final thing. We oh, we want to talk about something local. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, you just turned in an op-ed about Representative Eastman, yeah. who's been, I think, a bit of a thorn of our, in our sides. Yeah. The, <laughs> the last couple of, I want to say, almost years at this point. It goes back quite a ways yeah. beyond before, yeah, this current moment. So, but we chatted about him last podcast, uh-huh. and last time we we believe that. He's essentially a white supremacist. I uh, think he's made that clear that he is. Yeah. His and various statements. Yeah. At one point, he listed a, a website that was a Holocaust-denying website in one of right. his Facebook posts. Yep. Uh, and, and he's now, he is a member of Oath Keepers. Which is, I don't know if they're decidedly white supremacists, but there's a lot of overlap for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And he was at the January 6th. Insurrection. I believe right. he was there. He says he didn't go in, but didn't. he was present. Yeah. Okay. Um, and also, he has uh, posted a photo of himself in the Holocaust Museum in D.C., but he's standing by a giant quote of Hitler's. Yeah, yeah. And he's sort of standing at attention as if in a sign of respect, and that's odd. So us, he was, us, so it's just yeah. us progressive there clergy. There are more. Yeah, there are more there's examples. More. We'll, we'll leave it back. Yeah. There's us progressive clergy. Like, we always, we know, this This troubles us yeah. when this happens because we believe that the public sphere should be free of, I would say— Racism, racism anti-Semitism. Yeah. But mm-hmm. just like, just just like yeah, any kind of thing that makes someone feeling bad for who they are, discrimination. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so you, Matt, now you and I often work at making sure that, like, polite about what they say in the public sphere. If not, you and I, we say stuff about that. Yeah, we sort of have a uh, a calling in which we have to have to talk a lot, and we've talked here before about counter speech that right. that, that yeah. what things come into the public realm, if they're causing harm to others, it's kind of our job to in some ways speak out against that. Whether or not we're effective is is a different question. You know, it's not it's not that we're going to change all the policies. But we also are not really given the luxury of silence in the face of these types of statements. And so that's why I wrote the thing I wrote today. Now, I've written things frequently for the I mean, newspaper. That I do, they, too. No, yeah. that, but what I was going to say is I've written things frequently that they don't run. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll email them in, and I just never hear back. And I'm like, sure, I go, okay, that's, I guess that wasn't so great. Or maybe sometimes— it would have played well in a church, but outside of the church, it's like, who cares? Yeah. You know, um, so that I don't know if this will get run or not. But one of the nuances I thought might be interesting for you and I to chat about today was that as I'm writing it, I'm thinking about, you know, of course, I'm thinking initially about the whole ordeal. But two things I'm thinking about is one, have I been saying too much in public recently in general? Now, I've been away for two weeks, so I haven't said anything. But, you know, in, you just want to be careful that you're not 
Not jamming the airwaves. Yeah, not yeah. seeking the spotlight, not yeah. seeking attention, just making sure you only speak when there's an issue that's important and meaningful from your particular perspective. So I've got a lot of thoughts about, um, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, me too. Right? But but it's not something I need to write about in the newspaper, right? Yeah. And I've got a lot of thoughts about, um, like, tariffs. I don't really, but imagine I did. But But why would anyone care to hear from their pastor about that, right? My perspective offers no particular insight. But once in a while, that Venn diagram overlaps, and there's something in the public sphere that I actually care about and I actually know a bit about, and it matters from the pastor's perspective, and that's what I try to speak to. The second thing in this is that I wanted to be real clear that I have no interest in attacking an individual. Sure. Right? I don't want to be writing something that is a hit piece or even feels like a hit piece. Right? And so in this particular one, I, I at least twice made it clear this is not about this one particular representative. It's about us asking ourselves as a society, does white supremacy as an ideology have have the right to have a legitimate seat at the table. You know, should that even be allowed in the conversation, which is very largely what Representative Eastman was putting forth in some of his statements recently. He said something along the lines of, if a racist district wants to elect a racist to represent them, then that's okay. Um, And I think it is our duty at that point to say, even if the law allows that, it's absolutely wrong and we do not accept it. And so uh, uh, I'm not attacking the person, but the ideology of white supremacy. Oh yes, I'll attack that all day long. I mean, we're seeing it. We're seeing a rise of it like all over, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. it's not. It's pretty scary, especially mm-hmm. for us. You know, us Jews have never <laughs> have never done well right. uh, amongst the rise of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're 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 always nervous. Yeah. Uh, when these things start to happen, and yeah, I mean, al- almost all of my op-eds are re- essentially a reaction to anti-Semitism. Right. Which yeah. I'm sad that I have to write op-eds about in, in the first place. Yeah. I've wrote, I've written plenty about them. Over the well, I kept saying this to myself as I'm writing the thing. I can't believe I have to say this out loud. Yeah. Racism yeah. is bad. I mean, that should be right after two plus two equals four in our elementary school textbook, right? It's like, it, of course. This should be a closed case centuries ago. And yet here we are still having to say, oh, no, this is an elected official and, and plenty across the country that are espousing these ideologies that lead to murder. But here we are still having to say. So, yeah, you and I, we often find ourselves being a, a, a voice, if yeah. you will, saying, hey, not cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, but you're right. It is weird, but I, I feel like that's part of our job, you know, as part is, of our mission yeah. as, as progressive clergy. And this one uh, walked a weird tightrope also because a lot of members of the legislature and a lot of people that you and I know who are active in social things um, wanted there to be some type of line drawn on this one. And so the Alaska legislature considered consequences for Representative Eastman, but the practicalities of the law made that really impossible. Um, uh, you know, there's a certain level of plausible deniability built into the statements that that you can really hold them to things. And, um, and it, honestly, constitutionally, you might not be able to have consequences for your ideology from the legislature. That's up to the voters. So, so there are a lot of little hidey holes for that type of evil ideology to, to, to sneak into and escape. And I'm not interested in cutting down the law to get to those. I just think it's important to say, even if the legal mechanisms of the legislature can't impose consequences, we can still shine a light on it and say, this is sinful, straight up sinful to be a white supremacist. Um, and 
Will that have an impact? Who knows? But uh, but uh, we can't be quiet about it. No, no, and we shouldn't be. Yeah. Boo. That's a bummer topic. I much preferred it when we were talking about pancakes. Oh, yeah, delicious. <laughs> Do you guys in your family watch the cartoon Adventure Time? Yeah, actually, our uh, we have two Adventure Time posters it's the best, um, on isn't our, it? On our son's wall. Yeah. And we even ran into the guy that, uh, that started it, uh, Pendleton Ward. No way! Yeah, there was an adventure. He's brilliant. When we were in L.A., there was an Adventure Time like art gallery, yeah. art show we went to. Okay. And uh, he was he was there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah. Well, two things about that. One, the reason I bring it up is because whenever we're having pancakes in my house, I sing the song. The Adventure Times, the, the intro song? No, no, no. Making pancakes, making bacon oh, pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and there's you can go on YouTube and someone has looped that into a 20-hour loop of the Making Pancakes song. Nice, and nice. so I leave it on as long as I can until it, someone in my family slaps me. <laughs> um, <laughs> we like that with, but with Neon Cat in our family, but that's a whole different thing. Second thing, though, I highly recommend you watch a cartoon on Netflix by Pendleton Ward called The Midnight Gospel. Okay. Not for your kids. It's disturbing in many ways, It's and it also promotes the use of hallucinogens, which I'm not – I don't support personally, um, but but he does. Many clergy have used them in the past, though. <laughs> yeah, there's a long <laughs> tradition of, of – yeah. Uh, it's just not my jam, baby. And so uh, – but the show itself is brilliant because it's set up like a podcast. So mm-hmm. it's Pendleton Ward interviewing a guest – and they have a deep and far-ranging conversation about lots of interesting things. One of them is about hallucinogens. Not the whole show, just one episode. Um, lots and lots of really deep, brilliant topics. Meanwhile, then, they've taken that audio and created bizarre animated worlds uh, similar to Adventure Time, where they're going through all these crazy adventures and madcap escapes with, with crazy landscapes and crazy creatures all over the place. But the conversation is so subdued and normal between these two people. Sure. And, and so your brain is trying to follow the visual narrative while at the same time the audio conversation, which don't really have much don't, to do with each other up. at all. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a fun little workout for your brain, and it's also just beautifully artistically done. What's it called again? Midnight Gospel. Midnight. I think it's on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah, so that's... Well, that's, That's a much more exciting way to finish our yeah. podcast. <laughs> we have to end on an up note somehow. All right. Well, yeah. anyway, if you've made it this far in our podcast, thank you. <laughs> uh, and a big thank you to the Mitra Brothers for the music and sound design and uh, James Brown uh, for our logo. And uh, if you want to catch us in action, you can. Uh, for me, uh, we're still uh, we're still on – we're doing hybrid. So uh, Alaska Judaism Media is where you can see me do my thing. Uh, and Matt, where can, we, where, where can we see you do yours? I am the starting power forward for the New York Knicks. <laughs> Yikes. Not really. Um, but you can just Google First Presbyterian Church of Anchorage, Alaska, and that will direct you to all of our social media, including YouTube and our homepage, which has lots of uh, ways that you can be involved. We're – we feel like, let's knock on wood, we feel like we're opening up pretty soon here. The yeah. data is is in the favor of that. We're going to be meeting in person more. We, we've not held back on supporting our neighbors in terms of gathering food and clothing and financial help for utilities or what have you. Um, but we do so miss meeting together. So uh, I would recommend my church. I would recommend Congregation Beth Shalom as a place to go. Even those of us who are introverts, 
we miss meeting together. Yeah, we and we're Friday nights you can come, you can come yeah, in person. There's something so different yeah. about talking to someone in person. You and I tried to do a podcast via Zoom and it was it was okay, but it was yeah. not nearly as good as seeing your beautiful face. Oh, my friend. thanks, Matt. I'm <laughs> blushing. You're making me blush. All, All right, right. we're <laughs> take care, everyone, and thank you for listening. Bye bye.